0: Welcome to the Kinetic Enterprise, Built to Evolve, presented by Deloitte. Your host for the program is Bonnie D. Graham. This program will set up your business for the future with topics centered on the four pillars of the Kinetic Enterprise. We'll focus on case studies and best practices designed to move you to the next level. Now, here is Bonnie D. Graham.
1: Welcome to the Kinetic Enterprise Built to Evolve, presented by Deloitte. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and let's see what our topic is today. It's going to be another good one, I can tell you that. So how do rational considerations like price and quality kindle emotional bonds with customers? That's a really loaded question. I have another one. Which moments are pivotal in transcending from product satisfaction to brand love? Oh, we all want brand love. Second question. So for brands today, these two questions should be driving your enterprise-wide strategies for building lasting emotional connections. Now, on the Kinetic Enterprise, we don't usually talk about emotions, but we've introduced some topics here, some terms emotional bonds. Brand loves emotional connection. So, listen today and find out how to empower your organization to create experiences more responsive to your customers' needs while infusing more human qualities across your technologies and your touch points. Here are Deloitte's latest research that's going to be interesting on customer loyalty and how brands like yours, to our listeners around the world, can elevate human experiences to deepen those bonds of loyalty and build lasting business value. How are you going to do it? You're going to be weaving customer input and data points into everything you do. Uh-huh. It's a big concept here. You're going to get insights on customer-centric governance, ensuring consistency across your business and delivering on needs. And we're going to be asking three specialists in this field. We have Jennifer told me I can call her Jen. Jen Buchanan. We have Sarah Logman, and we have Tim Grulick all at Deloitte for their take on the Kinetic Enterprise, creating emotional connection at enterprise scale. What an interesting topic. Welcome to our panelists. Let's start off with having each of you introduce yourself. So, Jen Buchanan, you're up first. Welcome, Jen. Nice to have you here. What an interesting topic. So, tell us a little bit about what you do and what's your take on this. Jen, go ahead.
2: Yes um thanks Bonnie I um, excited to be here today so um, I've actually spent my career in some form trying to think about how we can create these connections um, be that through market with market research or actually early in my career which is why I picked the forest picture um, I was an ecologist trying to bring multiple parties together helping trying to understand each other, understand why things are happening and then use that information to really foster, um, more of a collaborative way to connect with one another um, and, and really um, think about how they can make the world a better place. And now um, for the last 15 years, I've been working in research and helping brands think about as an organization, how do they work better together? How do they listen to their workforce? How do they listen to their customers? And how do they take all those little pieces and nuggets of information, weave those together together, to create these really compelling experiences that make people fall in love with you and really develop a brand, uh, a bond with you um, over time. So excited to be here today. Um, This is a space in particular, helping brands get really connected and feel really um, passionate um, about their customers is what I do, so.
1: Thank you. Very interesting about your ecological background there, Jen. Nice to know that. I have a quick question for you before we have Sarah Longman introduce herself. Jen, is this something that makes senior executives and companies get a weird feeling like, what, we have to have people love our brand? We just want them to dig into their pocket, whether we're B2B, B2C. We just want them to buy something from us. What's this love stuff? Do you ever get that response? Like, Wait a minute. We're a company. We're an enterprise. We're all over the world. We <laughs> got to start with love
2: now. Do they get the
1: emotional part?
2: <laughs> yes. Yes. We have a lot of a lot of conversations about this, and and definitely, I think it's an uncomfortable area for folks. But when they see the actual monetary impact of forming these really deep connections, um, then they change their mind, and it's a different conversation. And and um, today, I, I'm, I'm excited to talk a little bit more about that with my colleagues and with you, because I think we're seeing more and more with the rise of devices kind of being between all of us um, and, and sort of the, especially, you know, even now, like we're all remote and not connecting in person. This need for human connection, this need to form this emotion is what makes the difference. And it's what makes people come back to that brand over and over um, and buy more products from them so which makes Thanks. the c-suite happy so thank
1: you for the reality check mm-hmm. i p- appreciate your honesty about that sarah <laughs> logman is with us sarah thank you so much for joining and why don't you introduce yourself to our audience and tell us your take on it is this love concept something that mm-hmm. makes executives say and marketing teams say oh come on give me a break let's not get the woo <laughs> in here we're in a business mode sarah please introduce yourself go ahead
3: Sure, thanks Bonnie, great to be here today. Um, I'm actually a data scientist, so I'm a numbers person. So some of this emotional stuff, I can, I can see where you're, where some executives might be, uh, might be uh, clam up <laughs> a bit when we start talking about loving brands and, and moving outside of, of, of the numbers. But what I'm really passionate about is consumer behavior. I've always been passionate about it throughout my close to 20 year career. Really what, why do people make the decisions that they do? And also using research to show and, and data to show the difference between what people say they're going to do and what they're actually doing and what the data is actually telling us, letting the, letting the data speak. I think now a lot of executives where they may have been a little bit shy to talk about these these things years ago or more open to it because people do have such a connection with brands and there's so many more touch points than there may have been years ago that it is possible to to love a brand and engage with them outside of just that transactional um am purchasing your product or engaging in your service.
1: Thank you Sarah. Another great reality check there. And I think right now let's we know where we are. This is the end of August. Well this show will air the first Friday in September 2020. Companies are starting to reopen pull out of the COVID mm-hmm. pandemic shutdowns. People are still obviously working from home in so many industries or not working at all. Kids are home. The world has changed. Disruption is here and we have everybody says we're going to get into the next normal. I think it's the next abnormal. At just the way i look at it because nothing nothing is what any of us know and and remember but that concept of love sarah seems to be something that's really nice right now you want to be engaging in a business conversation you want to feel some humanity in it don't you you want to feel that it's going to do something for you for your life not just for your am i right or wrong sarah i totally agree and something that we that that
3: has has been happening as we've gone through um the, the pandemic crisis, it's people are going back to nostalgic brands and, um, things that they're, things that they remember from childhood are sitting around the ta- table rather. And it, I think that's great. That evokes that feeling of love and remembrance in these times where we may be, may be disconnected from that human contact. We're grabbing towards gravitating towards brands, products, that, that make us think of, of that human
1: connection. Thank you. I appreciate that. I like that nostalgia. By the way, to our listeners, I have the pleasure and privilege of being on a Zoom video conference with my guests so I can see them think, I can see their reactions and the smiles and the looks of what you're going to ask me next. And I really appreciate it because when you said nostalgic, Sarah, it, it, it's such a human thing, and that's part of the connection. Very, very interesting. Thank you. Tim Grulick is waiting so patiently. You're my champion, Tim. Waiting. When is she going to get to me? Tim, it's your turn. Please introduce yourself, and we'd love to hear your take on the topic as well. Welcome, Tim. You and I worked together a couple months ago on a show. Yeah, we have,
4: Bonnie. Thank you for, I guess, thank you for having me back. It's, it's, We're uh,
1: delighted. Go ahead. Yeah, if there might be two people who don't remember you. Talk to those two people. around. Okay, okay. Well, yeah, from,
4: I, I'm Tim Grulick, as Bonnie said. I, I run our uh, operational uh, customer experience practice for for Deloitte. And um, I mean, I spend my time with with my clients educating them on on how to take the the concept that we've talked about, love for the brand, and how to really operationalize that, and what systems, processes, and technology do we need to put in place to make this real for their business, so that they can drive the tangible results that Jen mentioned. Um, and so I'm passionate about this subject because it's it's interesting. You've got a researcher in Jen. You've got a data scientist in in Sarah. You've got a Operations guy in myself, we're all kind of numbers-related people, and so when you talk about love, for us, that's a little bit different conversation. But it is—it drives true financial value, and and what I'm passionate about is what we found in the research is not only that it drives value, we've we've gotten a little bit to the how and how do you build those relationships. And I think, finding to your point earlier, bringing some of the humanity back into business is mm-hmm. a good thing—not um, only for your bottom line, but it's just a good thing for all of us to feel a little better. About ourselves and the people that we're interacting with, and the people we're spending money on to interact with. So,
1: thank you, thank you. We all want to feel that, and and I think more and more people are on these video chats for meetings, and they want to feel they want to feel like a person. Doesn't matter how big ticket item you're buying for your company, we want to be treated like people. So this topic is. I was just chatting with Malia Aguilar, who is the wonderful person who puts together these shows, and I said, "What a great topic for this time." in the world, so I appreciate that. Thank you all for your introductions. Now it's the time of the show, we're going to go to the opening quotes. I've asked my panelists to please put some thought into picking a quote that is, Absolutely nothing to do with the topic today. And from a book, a movie, a song, a person famous, not so famous. And then they'll relate the quote in their own words today here on the show on the kinetic enterprise related to our topic. And and if you're just tuning in, by the way, this is the kinetic enterprise. <clears throat> Very interesting topic, creating emotional connection at enterprise scale. We're speaking to business executives, owners, leaders, consultants, analysts all over the world, and emotional connection is the key to our topic. Today I'm here with Jen Buchanan, with Sarah Logman, and Tim Grulick at Deloitte. So let's go to the opening quotes. And Jenna sent us a quote, turns out, from Joseph Campbell. Those of you might think, who is Joseph Campbell? Well, here is the background. Joseph Campbell, 1904 to 87, was an American professor of literature at Sarah Lawrence College, I was a Sarah Lawrence girl, I might have actually known him. I didn't take uh liter I didn't take literature, I took French lit actually 21st French literature, 21st century, and we actually did all the classes in French. It was really, really cool back in the day. Yes, one-on-one. Sarah Lawrence is famous for that. But what's most important is Joseph Campbell gained recognition in Hollywood. Now remember, this guy passed away in 1987 when George Lucas credited Campbell's work as influencing the Star Wars movie saga. How cool is that? Now, here's the quote. We must be willing to let go of the life we have planned so as to have the life that is waiting for us. Jen, I'm getting chills. What a beautiful quote. How did you
2: find this? <laughs> um, well, I'm, I'm a literature nerd. I also took French 21st century French lit in French in college as well. Um, but I, um, I'm, I'm a fan of that. And then I you know, as I think about even just how I want to live my life, um, being a plant recovering planner is, you know, <laughs> I want to let go of life and just not be so planned and organized and let things go. And I think that so connects to the research that we did where, you know, historically as a researcher, we do a big project once a year, we do a segmentation for for our um, organizations um, or when I, when I was a client, I did it, or when I was an industry, I did it as well. Um, these are our people, this is our plan, this is our marketing plan, these are our messages. And what we found is that to form these really deep emotional connections, you need to be more human and you best laid plans can't be the only plan. You need to be able to flex as customers, as people, feed you more information and use that information in a way that you can continue to craft the way that you connect with other people Um, and the way you connect with your customers so that you can start to relate to them as opposed to just put them in a bucket and this is how we talk to the moms um, who stay at home. And this is, you know, now it's like the mom who may stay at home, who is homeschooling and likes the color green and has a dog and, you know, is really into exercising. We need to know all these little pieces so that over time we're evolving the way we talk to them. And so I felt like this quote just sort of spoke to that moment to me um it's also the origin of i learned today the origin of some of the some of the um star wars movies
1: <laughs> there you go thank you and by i have to correct i studied 20th century french literature okay. back in the day there wasn't 20 for, too much to, anyway never mind I'm, I'm thinking i misspoke what year was it yes at sarah lawrence we had a three Three subjects. I don't know if anybody knows what Sarah Lawrence is, but we have three subjects that you studied in a group setting. This is way back in the day. Plus, you had a one on one with that teacher or professor as a separate class, a separate topic under the header of that topic. So, if I was in a math class, I chose to study mathematical logic with my professor, and I had a one on one with him every week or other week and did separate coursework. So, you basically took six classes with three teachers. Three as one-on-ones oh, wow. and three in, and we didn't get grades. So when I transferred to another college, because I got married, moved to Boston a couple of years later, well, they have to go through the effort of looking at all the comments from your teachers and translating them into <laughs> grades so that another college will wow. accept the transfer. So it was very, very innovative. Very, And it, Sarah Lawrence was not one of the seven sister schools, if anybody knows what that is. Thank you, Jen. Great. So let's go to Sarah. Sarah Logman has sent us a quote from Dylan Thomas. How interesting. Dylan Marley, M-A-R-L-A-I-S. Thomas, 1914 to 53. Welsh poet and writer whose works include the poems, and this is the line Sarah has sent us, do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. And I will also tell you that um, he wrote Under Milkwood, he did radio broadcasts such as A Child's Christmas in Wales, Portrait of the Artist as a Young Dog, and he acquired a reputation as a roistering, drunken, doomed poet. He died at the age of 39 in New York City. Very, very famous. So here is the quote again. Do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. I hope I did that well, Sarah how did you find this for our topic about emotional connections at enterprise scale? We got to hear this one. Go ahead.
3: (laughs) Well, I've always, uh, I, since high school, which is more years ago than I I'd like to admit, I, I love the work of Dylan Thomas and I happen to be somewhat, uh, somewhat, uh, a fan of all things Welsh. Um, so I picked this quote. It means a lot to me and in, in, in my life, but I also think it, it really applies to what we're talking about because what companies can't afford to do is to be passive about their customers. Uh, they, they need to be to, in order to make your customers passionate and have that connection to you, you need to be passionate and, and, ha- and have that emotional connection with them. So. The advice is don't go gentle, don't be passive with your customers. Fight for them, especially with how much how much noise there is from other competitors. You've got to fight fight for them and establish and be
1: passionate. Good point. How much noise there is. And today there is a lot of noise. Imagine when the show airs on September 4th, how many other podcasts are being broadcast at exactly that time, but we know everybody's going to want to listen to the three of you because you're so smart, and you are creating an emotional connection with our listeners by our topic today. Think about that. That's another example. We want an emotional connection. We want to engage. I think that's the the bottom line of what we're talking about, engage on a human, authentic, emotional level and authentic has to deal with emotions. Tim has sent us a quote talking about emotional. This is a quote from Fever Pitch, which is a 2005 American romantic comedy film. It was released outside the US and Canada later on Tim as the perfect cat directed by the Farrelly brothers. And I was surprised at the stars. I guess I never saw Drew Barrymore. We know her in romantic comedies, Mm -hmm. but Jimmy Fallon was the male lead. Who knew? Uh, and let me see. The book and the original film are about soccer. Aha. In 1997, it was a soccer original book, and they adapted it in 2005, aimed at the U.S. market, and they made it about baseball. Interesting. So here is the quote. It's a long one. Everybody bear with me. I'll try to make a masculine voice. And a feminine voice. Jimmy <laughs> Fallon. Jimmy Fallon has been, you know what's really great about baseball? Drew Barrymore is Lindsay Meeks. Hmm? Jimmy Fallon, you can't fake it. You know, anything else in life, you don't have to be great in. Business, music, art. I mean, you can get lucky. Drew Barrymore, really? Jimmy Fallon, yeah, you can fool everyone for a while. You know, it's like not, not baseball. You can either hit a curveball or you can't. That's the way it works. Terrible, terrible pretending to be their characters. But Tim, please rescue me. How did you find this quote? Because it's really cool. Go ahead. I thought, I
4: thought that was great. I could picture the movie as you were saying.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs>
4: <laughs> and it's isn't it a bit ironic, too, that I claimed I'm an operations guy and not like into love. And then I gave you a romantic comedy quote, too, also, too. Uh, there you go. To do that. No, this this quote to me has got a couple of, of for, for me, uh, it's got a couple of things I think speak to me, but also speak to topic that we're talking about. That, that For me, at the end where, where, where Jimmy Fallon says that you, you can't fake it, you got to either hit the curveball or you can't. In my life, personally, I'd like everything to be black and white. Like That's the way I would like to operate. But we all know that's not the truth. Maybe in baseball it is. Maybe it is you can. You can only hit the curveball and, and you can't, you're out. But in reality, with humanity, we're all complex and there's a lot of gray areas. And so as we think about designing for that human experience, you know, I think, We have enough tools and data available to say that things are not black and white anymore and engage with our customers in that more gray space because they want to engage in in that gray space. And the second part of that quote, which I think is applicable to what we're talking about today, is he talks about you can fake it for a while. Mm. And um, Sarah even, in her quote, said that you want to be passionate about your customers and go for it. And I, I think what we're finding through the research is you really can't fake it you can come out with a good product or service and that will do for a while. Um, And as long as you continue to feed that product and service, you will have customers that are satisfied with what you do, but they won't be raging loyal customers. And if you try to fake it, you're actually going to have a negative impact on, on your emotional connection with that customer and ultimately your bottom line. So at the end of the day, when you can't fake it with your customers, you have to commit authentically to building loyal customers and being a customer-centric company if that's the route you want to go as a business.
1: Thank you very much. Really appreciate the quote. We love movie quotes. Thank you, Tim. I like it. Mm-hmm. I I got to go find that on streaming somewhere. I appreciate that. I wish I could do a Drew Barrymore voice, but I I'd have to study that. She has such a unique voice and Jimmy <laughs> Fallon's wonderful. I really didn't know he acted in movies like that multifaceted star. Now it's the time of the show where we're going to get into the discussion statements. This is the real round table, but we have been going around the table. So I'm going to start off with statement number 1 from Jen Buchanan and Jen, this is part of uh, the first part of your statement is part of my introduction at the top of the show, mm-hmm. but you go into it in such a beautiful way. I feel like I'm reading a poem here. I don't think I I very very rarely Get poetry for a discussion statement, Jen. So everybody, p- hold it's on. The literature. It's the it literature. Her, it's her background in literature and environment. She's an environmental environmental science. Well. Yeah. There you go. There you go. So I'll, I'm going to read. I'd like to read the whole short paragraph, if you don't mind, Jen, and then yeah. have you expand it because you said it so beautifully. Jen says the emotional bonds that people have with brands build up over time because of rational considerations like price and quality, which I meant, mentioned in my intro. Here's where where it gets really fun she says rational factors are like the center strands of a rope in and of themselves they're simply strands but when you consistently deliver on rational factors that have permission you have permission to weave and wrap even more strands of connection great customer service listening to customer feedback and responding knowing your customer's history and preference and it's these strong fibrous emotional bonds that inspire trust and loyalty that was really well done, Jen. Jen, expand it a little <laughs> bit, unpack it, and then we'll see what Sarah has to say, if she agrees or disagrees. And then Tim, Jen, you're up.
2: Yeah. I I think, you know, as a as a, a marketer, as part of my role, um, you know, for a long time, all we focused on is, it's all about emotion. It's all about, um, you know, how, how do we evoke emotion in, in our customers? And and when we did this research, what was so clear to us is that at the core, when we ask people, why do you like a brand? It was always around this notion of price, quality, the right product for what I need right now. It's convenient. Um, these these pieces that are just so basic, right? So just like, guys, at the end of the day, you have to have a good product, but on that same token, a lot of people have good products, right? so when we when we looked at, you know how do they talk about brands, when they really started getting going of talking about um, their favorite brand, they started to weave in this emotional language. and it and when they described why they felt emotional about these brands, it was often because they had this, very relatable experience with the brand. So they felt heard by the brand. They felt like they understood where they were coming from. And so they made share a little bit more about themselves. Just like, if you think about it, we use Tim Tim and Sarah and I often use this metaphor of a friendship. Um, So at a core, there's some basic things that you have in a friendship, just like a rope. And then over time, as you interact with one another, you get to this place where you start to share more information, deepen that emotional bond and strengthen strengthen that rope on some level. And so when we ask customers about this, why do you like a brand? Why do you feel like you're in a relationship with a brand? At the core was always this notion of good product, convenient price, all of the things that you would come to expect that people talk about that I feel like. Brands off marketers, at least we don't talk about that as much. We talk more about like how to evoke, evoke emotion in in the customer, but bringing those things together and really relating to someone is what allows you to unlock a deeper relationship down the line. Uh, so
1: Thank my, you very much, yeah. very, very interesting. Uh, let's go around the table, Sarah Logman. agree or disagree with what Jen said? I totally agree, and
3: that I think about it. Um, in terms of what can break that 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 bond, that and also what happens where you have a great ad or you have something that induces a customer, I'm going to try that product. I love that ad; it, it looks like something that connects with me. And then you go and it's overpriced or the quality's not good. That's not just that that quality of the emotional connection with the advertisement isn't going to keep them as a customer if you're not getting those basics right. And then if something happens, like we've seen with, we've seen with, with, with brands across multiple categories, like people fall in love with a brand. It's from, like I was talking about earlier with nostalgia, it's something they've always had and then something changes. So they change a recipe, they change a, 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 a design or something like that, and it's not as good anymore. It's not what they remember. So that can end up breaking that emotional connection. So it's really fundamentally get those basics right, and then you can build on, and that's the fundamental of building on that emotional connection.
1: Thank you. Tim Grulick, join us. Thoughts, agree or disagree with either or both of your co-panelists? Go ahead.
4: Oh, I I agree. I think you get a lot of agreement on on this conversation in general since we were all kind of part of the research. But um, I think the one thing to add is, is, is Jen and Sarah both talked about it. I think the research calls out kind of specifically where you need to focus and, and it calls out how important price quality and those rational considerations are. And then we take the next step into saying, well, how do you attack this? I think organizations in general know this, but they tend to over-index sometimes on all the stuff that needs to wrap around those core strands um, and you know, blame their success or failure with creating loyal customers on the fact that they're not creating a great experience. And the fact that they, you create a great experience, you have to be undermined, or it has to be underlying by mm-hmm. those rational factors, which builds trust, which then gives you the opportunity to take about all the other stuff that you're spinning out on top of that. So mm-hmm. it, it, to me, it's, it's, how do you, it gives you a blueprint to prioritize a little bit where you spend your time and in investment.
1: Interesting. Blueprint to prioritize. And that must be a challenge is where do you put? I, I recently heard that, I'm not going to get into politics, but some campaigns claim to have over a thousand data points per voter, per registered voter. And I was listening to a radio conversation. Uh, with some analysts, a couple about a week ago, and somebody said he couldn't think of more than forty points to describe his life, and he couldn't imagine what the thousand would be. <laughs> anyway, data points, data point, get to know them, and this leads me into Jen. I'm going to jump to statement number three from Sarah to continue the conversation because mm-hmm. this is really interesting. Sarah said before the show, we found, and I want you to reference the Deloitte research and and tell us a little bit more about who was included in the research. We'd love to know. We found that as customers bonds with a brand strengthened, they are remarkably open to sharing a great deal about themselves. In fact, they're comfortable sharing more than brands think to ask for today. Sarah, this is Fascinating because we always balance mm-hmm. how much do I share with how what did I share that I didn't realize I shared and who can find what I shared. And when I'm on Facebook or I'm on Twitter, I'm LinkedIn, did I say something personal? Did I tell too much? Can I close that barn door after the proverbial horse got out? Right mm-hmm. to privacy, GDPR, the right to be forgotten in Europe. It all comes mm-hmm. into play and we're all very present and out there. So Sarah talked to me. Very interesting. Go ahead. Yeah. So this is this is a particularly interesting
3: finding uh especially given as you were just saying Bonnie about uh concerns about data privacy to, today it's, um, what's really interesting is we we found in our research which we talked to uh, we did two surveys eight hundred people uh, cross section of 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 the United States uh in both surveys and what we what we found is that they're actually okay with companies knowing more information than they think they know. So we asked the question, do you think the uh, brands or companies know this stuff about you? And are you okay with that? Non 22% more people were okay with, with um, companies knowing more than they thought they knew. And what's really, I, I, Another another favorite uh, quote of mine outside of Dylan Thomas is, with great power comes great responsibility. Uh, <laughs> and when people share their data, they want it to have a purpose and they want you to be responsible with it. And one of the things mm-hmm. we've found as we've done these, this research across a few years is Jen and I always say, don't be creepy about it. <laughs> Use my data, create personalized experiences, and I'm, I'm willing to share more with you, but there's that line that companies really have to be aware of where it crosses over into, for lack of a better word, creepiness. Like if I'm walking by a, 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 a brand store and all of a sudden I get a text message like 20% off, some people mm-hmm. will be really turned off by that, and then they start to question, um, start to question, should I be giving them that data? What What else is this being used for? But if you use it responsibly and under, really use the data to understand what your customers want you to do with it, it becomes a really powerful tool and they're more willing to share it with you.
1: Interesting, Sarah. I'm going to give a little sidebar here before we go around the table with Tim and Jen. I was doing a show on uh, mobility and, and automotive the other day and, and Internet of Things and it came up how it used to be futuristic going from uh, from the flintstones to the jetsons and and a lot of us who lived through the flintstones on tv are, are now seeing the jetsons almost really be part of our lives or that the the culture that was the jetsons in the cartoon show so the question is wouldn't you love it if you were driving on a highway and sarah i could use you as a the test case here and you got a signal, either a, a voice coming out of your dashboard, or you got a notification through some kind of digital means in your car while you were driving that said the, uh, the, belt on your, the fan belt is within about 20 miles of braking. It's going to exp- explode. It's going to come off, and you're going to have a, mm-hmm. a shutdown of your car. We have arranged for you to take exit 23A. You will drive a half a mile. You will go to Steve's service station. They have the part that was just created on a 3D printer. They have a mechanic ready to, I'm getting goosebumps. They have a mechanic ready to receive your car. They will fix it. They will have you back on the road in 28 minutes. We are charging you through Apple pay or charging you through Venmo Mm -hmm. or whatever, PayPal, we have your account and you will not be late to your meeting with Sarah Logman, Jen Buchanan and Tim Grulick at Deloitte, which is another three hours away. Now, The question is, look at all the data they have about you. They have your car, Mm -hmm. the make and model. They know what engine is. They know what the belt looks like. They know where you're going. Maybe this is dystopian. Maybe it's already here. I had some of my panelists on the other show say, we're pretty close to that kind Mm -hmm. of connectivity. So the difference, Sarah, between walking by a store and what we used to know as malls and getting this 20% 20% off on uh, pantyhose, uh, Sarah, we know you, we, we know that you, you uh, have a run in your left stocking and we think you, need, if anybody remembers pantyhose, I do. Uh, I think- you need that versus your car needs a repair and we're going to make sure you're arrive at your destination mm-hmm. safe and on time. And we'll have lunch for you as well. Sarah, just respond to that and then we'll go around Tim and, and Jen. But what do you think there's that difference between what do I share and what do you think? I, I,
3: I think that is a really good indicator of the responsibility and what people, what customers will respond positively to. I actually do a lot of work in the automotive industry. And yes, that is closer than we are closer to that than you think, but that could save that could save a life. So imagine you have your children or a pet in the back seat Um and you don't know that this fan belt is going to go off. And I would I I personally would be like the thank you because I, I didn't know that and having that all set up and that's great. But if, if the same, if that same digital voice came on and said, we think you'd be interested in this <laughs> attraction that is up the road, that could be a totally different, uh, different, uh, act, different reaction to, uh, to that digital voice. So I think that's one way to use it responsibly. And that could be whatever make or model of your your vehicle, that could be forging that emotional connection. Some of the responses we got in the survey was like, I had a really rough time and this brand really helped me through help me through through their customer service or some other action that brand took.
1: And that's a key component of forging those emotional connections. Thank you. Mm-hmm. P- forgive me my, my sidebar there, but I thought it would be a cool example. I didn't know you worked in automotive, Sarah. That was perfect <laughs> to ask you that. So Tim, you're up next. Tim agree or disagree with anything or everything. We're talking about brands knowing about you, our consumers, our businesses giving away too much. And should we, should businesses be asking for more? What do you think, Tim?
4: You know what, honestly, right now, I don't think businesses should be asking for more. I think they probably have more than they need right now. It's like when I talk with my, my kids and they want other toys, like can we play with the toys that we have first and, you know, enjoy them before we go out and buy something new? Because I think the amount of data that we have you referenced in your, in your example about the playable consultants, I think there's more out there than we need. And I'm not sure if we always use it to the most effective um, manner. That, that being said, what was interesting in the research, and Sarah brought this up, was that the tighter, the, the stronger the bonds you have, the more information customers will give to you. And what the, I think the key word there is they will give to you. You don't have to be creepy and try to go search and find it. You can just ask them.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: And, and that's part of building the relationship is the ability to ask for those things. But it also puts a little responsibility back on the business. Instead of creepily finding out something where I've been browsing, if you actually ask me, I've now kind of had... You know, set a responsibility for myself, but I'm not asking you for this and you're giving it back to me. I'm going to have to use it in a safe manner. There's a little bit of accountability implied by by just asking. And so, um, I mean, this is a really interesting finding in the fact that it talks about where you can go, where we can go as an organization, the responsibility, but also if it's done right, it's a huge competitive differentiator for a brand because you can have so much access to things your competitors do not.
1: Thank you very, very much. I'm noticing here in, in some of your statements, Tim, just referencing what you're talking about, you say it gives you the ability to build a true defensive barrier around your customers and collect proprietary information that's more actionable and genuine than paid for by data sources or research projects. Very, very interesting. Before I go to Jen, I have a question for the three of you. You, you mentioned customers. Is the, Does this work, this idea of brand love for prospects? Somebody who's yeah. not already a customer, and let's talk B2B. You you contact somebody, hey, we would we have this great solution for your company, and we've met with you three times, and and we can see that you're all baseball fans, and we'd love to take you to a game and talk about it. I don't know. Is that part of the brand love, Tim? And then we'll, we'll go to Jen. Tim, what do you think? Where does it, the brand it, love?
4: It, it absolutely is. I mean, I think on the prospect side, um, you know, our research talks more about post-marketing interaction. So we know that on the prospect side, emotions drive – people to a brand or get them comfortable before they, before they purchase. So um, we also know on the B2B side, the relationships that you're building with your providers are starting also to feel a little bit more human. Um, we didn't do any research specifically on B2B. We are now actually trying to, to explore if that relationship is similar to that friendship that Jen mm-hmm. talked about or if, or if it's something different, but there definitely is some sort of emotions playing in there from a B2B perspective perspective. Um, and I think it also is is applicable to employees too. We're not ta- we're talking about customers, but it's applicable to employees and it's applicable to partners too. The the rational considerations may be different that you need to you know form that strand around before you start bonding around it. But any type of interaction that we're having with humans or humans set of people kind of follows this trend.
1: Thank you, Jen. Join us. Jump in. What do you think? Lots yes. to talk about.
2: Yes. So. Definitely agree um, with both of the, all the conversation we've had to date. The only thing I would say is that I think you need part of this being successful, using the data, accessing the data, um, whether it's B2B or B2C is you really have to have put the pieces together and know where you are in your relationship. Cause I, if I'm thinking about this car, the car example that you brought up earlier, Bonnie, I would be really thrown even though I would appreciate it if I didn't know that my car was going to do that. Right. So for me, if, if, if my car and that car manufacturer understood me as a customer, they would know that they would need to disclose to me that this is a feature, right? Otherwise I can imagine myself driving down the freeway and kind of having a moment of <laughs> freaking out about, Oh my God, are we going to crash? Um, as opposed to like, okay, I got to pull off and like go, go down this path. It's leading me down. So um I think it's about knowing, putting all those pieces together, um, and I, I've done research in both B2B and, and B2C in this space, and I don't think it's any different because at the end of the day, we're just talking about humans. There may be different techniques you use to get your prospects in the door, but once you have that relationship, it's still even more so on the B2B. It's That's all about this long-term relationship that you're fostering to get them to make bigger investments. Instead of buying toothpaste, they're, you know, potentially buying software or buying services or whatever it may be. So I think it's even more critical in that um, space. And, and I could not agree more with the comments that both of my um, fellow research, uh, researchers have made about the creepy piece, like having been someone who has done a ton of work in the space of listening to what people write in social, People write so much content, share so much about themselves on there. Brands have access to all of that information that is publicly available. They can use it. They just have to choose how to use it. And I and, and using it in a way that's just very genuine, very authentic. And the way that, you know, they always teach you as a kid to, like, treat others as you'd want to be treated. Same thing with data. Don't use Don't do something that is going to feel creepy to you if you were the person having someone do that to you. So it's amazing. Everything always comes back to the things that you learned in preschool and kindergarten, (laughs) right? So,
1: That's why they call them the formative years. I have two quick uh, B2C examples for you that that were very annoying to me. I regularly Mm -hmm. receive pitches from PR agencies suggesting for my SAP Game Changers radio shows or perhaps for this one, guests. We have a great guest. They have no clue what the show is about. They have no clue it's a roundtable. They're pitching a one-on-one. One of them just sent me that their panelists can give advice on how businesses can get a better credit rating. We don't dispense advice on any of my shows. We don't sell any products or services. It's thought leadership. And they're convinced that this person is so spectacular. And I take the time to write back instead of deleting it. And I say, I suggest as a PR agency, you should get to know the shows you're pitching. I said, better luck next time. But if you look at my 50 series, you'll know none of them is a selling show. And none of them, 99% of them are roundtables. And I said, don't pitch, pitch. And just as an example of look at all the data that's out there about radio shows, right? They pitch a technology show with something that's a credit line for businesses that has absolutely nothing to do with it. Anyway, I try to teach them. The other thing is I received an interesting email the other day from somebody. I don't think I know who she is, and she asked me to promote her business, and she gave me the selling pitch. She said, please send this to all of your subscribers. I don't have subscribers, I'm not a station. I don't have a business with, I've got fans, but I don't have subscribers. And she told me exactly what she, she's promoting, write a chapter, pay to reserve a chapter in an anthology. She is getting ready to publish and she's editing it. And you pay her for you to get known as an author by putting a chapter in her anthology on a particular topic. And that's how you get an inroad into the authorship (laughs) world. And she expected me to promote it And to pitch it to my subscribers, I don't even know who the – so talk about data. I don't know where they got the data that I had subscribers and that I would be willing blindly to sell her services and her idea, which I don't agree with at all, right, Yeah. to my millions supposedly of subscribers who I'm talking about. (laughs)
2: And she just looks like you're a segment, you're the, you're the podcast person. So I'm just going to send you this because I send this to all people who are podcasts that have these three Mm -hmm. things in their topics potentially covered.
1: So we're talking the Deloitte research, and we're talking at a a high level of businesses and small businesses, perhaps that need to do their homework. The data is there, use it well, don't upset, don't offend, don't. Take advantage of the fact that you know somebody's name and you find their email address or you find them on LinkedIn and say, here, go sell my business for me. Why? And that's not love. That is not love. Mm-hmm. Tim, we have time. I want to go to your statement number four. This is interesting. You use some technical terms in here and let's see if you can unpack them for us. You say one of the key differences between the traditional CX and op HX, you're gonna to have to unpack these for me. Approach to mm-hmm. technology is that ophx revolves around quantifiable outcomes. Which can be measured for their effectiveness. The results fuel dynamic, responsive, forward-looking closed loop approaches that connect human pain points with business solutions. I need you to translate this <laughs> into, into layperson's English for yes, I should have translated it
4: in my notes. Here, it yeah. sounds
1: no, it sounds fascinating. It does oh, sound well. smart in it
4: though. Yeah,
1: make you sound very, very erudite. Go ahead.
4: Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. For, first, let's unpack the, the the what I wanted to do in, in the statement is and the reason that we did the research initially is we wanted to understand what was driving first off what drove were emotions important what did that mean um, we understood that they were important and they, and they, they felt like gents a lot like friendships to build relationships we wanted to know how how to do that can you do it faster because um, ultimately, when we're advising um, our clients and organizations we, we want to be able to tell the how everybody asks the how that's that's the question and and so um, when you think about the how uh, that we, of, of creating this brand love that we're talking about. Um, you know, we talked about data, we talked about processes, we talked about organizations. And I think the old school way of looking at brand measurement or customer experience needs to kind of change to what we call operationalizing the human experience. And there's, and there's that's the OpHx phrase in there. Um, and And it's, you know, we believe that the, we believe that this brand love is through creating human interaction. So there's, there's the human experience. It's about the human experience, not just the customer experience. And then you've got to put it into practice in order to get any benefits of creating you know, to create the brand love. And that's, that's the operational component. And so what, what I wanted to say for when organizations think about how do they operationalize this data, they're most likely probably not structured to do it in a way that you need to do across the, the business silos. Um, they're probably going to look at their processes and look at them from a different lens, a, a more human lens, to figure out what needs to change. And they're absolutely going to need to invest in technology because all the stuff that we talked about around data, around channels, the car example, um, while those two pieces of technology may exist in an organization, I, I promise you they're not connected. And thinking about how they need to be connected to do that to a large-scale audience takes a little bit of time to work. So.
1: Tim, do we need a new seat on the C-suite around the virtual C-suite table, the chief?
4: The chief? You, I mean, you
1: I, The chief BL, BLO, the chief brand love officer. That's what I want. I couldn't <laughs> Do we need the chief, chief, chief brand love? love? Sounds like a BLT, the chief brand love officer. Tim, what do you think?
4: I don't know if we need a chief brand love officer. We've got chief commercial officers out there. We've got chief operating officers that have it. I, I, I do think, though, Bonnie, to your point, somebody has to stand up and own... Um, customer. And, and that happens in a lot of organizations right now. The question just that needs to be answered is, do they have the span of control to do it across all the core components of the business? Because it really does touch everything. Um, are they accountable to actually delivering true results off? Because a lot of times those roles aren't accountable to true PL responsibilities. And then they've got to have investment and funding to do it. Um, without those three things, it's a namesake role in, in general. So to answer your question, I think Somebody has to own it. Don't know if we need to roll for it.
1: Thank you very much. Let's quickly go around the table. We're almost ready for our crystal ball prediction. So sitting next to Tim, Jen Buchanan, you're up. What do you think about the CX, about the Op HX, about somebody owning all of this? What do you think, Jen?
2: Um, I think much like we're talking about how every organization needs to relate to customers or their workforce in a more human way, I think if we think about every organization as functioning and being more human-like, I think that owner is going to vary depending on the culture of that organization. So in some organizations, I think it's going to sit in marketing In some organizations, I think it's going to sit in operations. Um, And I think it's going to, I think it'll really just vary depending on, on where it is. But I do think that I, I see more and more, especially with the disruption happening right now, that this notion of tying and listening to your customers, well, it's always been there. I see it becoming more and more forefront, and that's that's happening today. It's happening tomorrow. It's it's you know why Tim and Sarah and I are all really busy right now because everyone wants to understand how do they do this.
1: Yeah, so interesting, Sarah, you're up. What do you think? I totally agree, and I I I would stress the point about being data
3: driven. I can't uh, when when I'm talking to, to companies, brands, um, across industries, and you ask, how do you know, you get the, yeah, our customer loves us. Um, how that, and you ask, how do you know that? Do you know that for sure? It's like, oh, we, we just know. Or how do you know that particular ad or that, that, that campaign really worked? Oh, we, we just think it did. So being data driven and really taking ownership of that data and proving to Tim's point the results of, of your efforts uh, is, is is critical um, and owning that, not creating silos across the in the organization to having clear ownership and uh, is is really critical to making it
1: successful. Thank you. I want to wrap this part of the show up with a statement from Tim. statement number three. Tim, I'm going to quote you here. Very appropriate. You say, ultimately at, the, ultimately, at the end of the day, business is a way that humans organize and sustain relationships of value with coworkers, with vendors and partners, and of course, with customers. Yet business, especially large, complex business, often doesn't feel very human. Employees feel like numbers. Customers feel like targets. Suppliers feel like cogs in a wheel. I could have opened with that in the beginning of the show, Tim. That was very <laughs> brilliant. Those are wows, words of wisdom. So I want to make sure we got that across. Now I've got about 45 seconds for each of you to share your crystal ball prediction on where are we going, all this brand love and connections and emotional connections at scale with customers, prospects, B2B, B2C. Where are we headed with all of this? Jen Buchanan, 45 seconds, Be as they say in French, vite, vite, fast, fast. Go ahead, Jen.
2: Mm-hmm. I think we're going to see a consolidation and integration of data that is not just people talking about it, but I think we're actually going to see the dream realized of having a 360 degree view of the customers and your employees. And I think that's going to happen in the next five years as a result of all the disruption today. Thank you. Sarah Logman, prediction. Thank you, Jen. I think we're going to
1: see continued uh, rationalization of, do I really
3: need 17 different flavors of my chips or my customers really gravitating to just a few. You've seen that, especially, um, in the CPG world, um, consumer packaged goods, a real rationalization. And what that's going to allow for is to really, really know your customers and get to the, use that data to know, uh, from your customers, know what the brands are most profitable and, and help, help, understand uh what needs to be done in the portfolio
1: thank you interesting cpg uh we all deal with that we may not know what the letters stand for but consumer packaged goods very interesting i just typed a note to malia and i said i'd love to do a show the kinetic enterprise focused on cpg how do you get the brand love? What is the research behind that? How do you go from your op HX, your CX? How do you measure results? Interesting. How do you know when the fan belt is about to pop off in the car of your marketing and when it needs a, a 3D replacement? Tim Grulick, I saved the last for you. 45 seconds, couple sentences. Tim, what do you see? I think,
4: you know, to Jen's point and by to your point, I think that Jetson's moment is gonna reach us sooner than we we expect. I say that, I think we're going to struggle with how to implement that across our customer basis. So I think it's going to be a rockier road of adopting all of the Jetsons technology than I think we all would expect it to be.
1: Thank you very much. A rocky road or a bumpy road, and it might not be, as they say in Back to the Future, Doc Brown said to Marty McFly, where we're going, we don't need roads. Aha! Maybe that's a good way to end. That's my <laughs> prediction. Where we're going. But I still have my sports car. And I still have on all my shows about automotive, I end with asking my guests, my panelists, in the next three to five years, will you still have a car in the driveway or the garage? And will you still have the keys to your own car in your own pocket? Or will you go into the sharing economy or the the, the car yeah. gig economy? Will you be renting, leasing, buying, borrowing? Will you be in a golf cart like they drive in my community here? Enough about that. Thank you. Big, big, big thought. Let's do a, an applause for Malia Aguilar. Malia, thank you all so right. much. Come on, everybody. We can see you here. Applause to Malia. She puts together wonderful mm-hmm. topics and shows. And Carla Neal also. Malia works with Carla at Deloitte. And Helen Tomas also sponsors this series. And I'm so happy to be working with all of you in and a thank you to Matt at Voice America. Applause for Matt for being our engineer and keeping me. He's telling me now, two minutes, one minute, ready to blast off. I got to go. So thank you to everybody at Deloitte for this. It's been such a pleasure. Jen Buchanan, Sarah Logman, and Tim Grulick, wonderful speaking with you. Thank you for your insights and sharing your humanity. We were real people on this show. And so let's just say signing off for Deloitte, the kinetic enterprise. We'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you for listening to the Kinetic Enterprise, Built to Evolve, presented by Deloitte. Be sure to join host Bonnie D. Graham next Friday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Deloitte can help you reimagine everything in order to get the most out of your SAP investments and position your business for tomorrow's demands. Learn more at Deloitte.com SAP. This program is copyright Deloitte Development LLC, all rights reserved.